all. Good to see you all here today. A beautiful day. Let's take our Bibles and turn once again to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, or maybe you don't even need to turn there. You can do it from memory. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. And once again, we'll read verses 10 through verse 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. To make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. Once again, may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father, once again, we thank you for this day that you've allowed us to be a part of. Thank you for the time in which we find ourselves living, even though it's crazy chaotic, out of touch with you it would seem. But what a perfect time for you to shine as a bright, gleaming diamond on a background velvet. Father, as our lives are lived out in the journey, each step at a time that we take, as we lean upon you and your righteous principles, Father, may we learn to love you more as well. Father, we'll thank you for the words that we've just read from the Word of God, the truth of which we can stand firmly upon. We would ask that these moments now would be yours, that you would guide, direct, Lead us, minister to us, encourage us, strengthen us. Through the power of the word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would once again be our teacher today. For we yearn for truth, yearning for all of the things that you desire to give us. And now, Father, these moments, once again, we want to commit to you, giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. Guide us in all truth. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm not even sure which session we're in, but it's certainly one that we need to be acquainted with as we're certainly finding ourselves in a world that we find ourselves at odds with. Uh, You are not a citizen here. Actually, I'll maybe leave that up for just a moment. Um, In case you haven't noticed, if you're a Christian today, it's not really cool. The world doesn't like you much. They didn't like Jesus either. He told us, uh, the world has hated me, they hate you also. And the question we have, if maybe the world doesn't hate you, what does that say? Sometimes we have to wonder, on whose side are we on? And that's what this is all about. It's putting on the whole armor of God. We find it to be remarkably tied into our study in Daniel, where Daniel, without having Ephesians chapter 6 to rely upon, are to be directed towards his life very much was in tune with this. He could have written this in another way. His life could have written that because we found him so much in love with 
his God, that his life couldn't be separate from God. That's literally the secret, is how close are you to God? Uh, that, that we'll continue to work on that even throughout today. But today we come to the second piece of the armor. And you're saying, you mean in all of this time we spent, you are only on number two. <laughs> we like to drive a point home. <laughs> At any rate, uh, what was the one we talked about last week? Well, this is going to go well. <laughs> the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And ultimately, there's a board, there is actually a word on the board that sums up the belt of truth. That it's our commitment. And that sometimes if we think of the belt of truth, we think of truth at its embodiment in the word of God, which certainly it is. But it's our commitment to truth that literally ties everything together. If you're not committed to truth, I can assure you, you will lose the battle. And many of them. Commitment. Commitment, we talked an awful lot about that last week and uh, looked at it from a number of different ways. Uh, being uh, your loins girded up, uh, which actually went back into even Exodus chapter 12. It's a, it's a theme, if you will, all through the scripture, the idea of readiness or preparedness. In fact, one I don't think we did look at, just quickly turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Even Peter uses the same terminology... To be ready with your mind, to be, to be quick and able and having your mind girded up. In fact, he says in verse 13, chapter 1, 1 Peter, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be prepared to think clearly. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, and I'm going to say, I just came across again today, but it, think of David and Goliath, okay? I mean, it doesn't even seem right. It doesn't even seem fair, right? I mean, here we have uh, David, the young David, the, the young boy, actually the youngest of... How many sons did Jesse have? Seven? Seven, I believe. Um, if not, we're off by just four or five. So anyway, no, I, I, I believe he's the youngest of seven. So, and his older brothers were out fighting this fight, which they weren't fighting. They were looking at one another. <laughs> and each day, Goliath would come a little bit closer. And if you think about it, you just think about our valley, if you will. And there was one side was the Israelites and the other side would have been the Philistines. And every day for 40 days, Goliath would say the same thing. Send me one man and the winner wins and the rest of you become our servants. And each day he caught just a little bit closer. So he got a little bit bigger. They became a little bit smaller. That's what happens to our problems many times is when we fail to focus on God, then we're focusing on the problem, which the problem grows bigger and our God becomes smaller. And therefore, we constantly are overwhelmed. Uh, my hand is raised too, because this week was one of problems, and they, be, they seemed insurmountable. And the more you thought about them, the more you focused on them, the bigger they got. Imagine that. What you look at is really what you think about, and it enlarges. Well, bring in David. Here's young David. He's coming to just bring some refreshments, uh, thinking things are pretty hot and heavy. And it happened to be on that time of the day when he showed up, here comes Mr. Goliath, barking once again, making himself knowing that he's really something. And everybody else is cowering. And David was not, he was totally, it was, it was, what are you guys doing? What, 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 what are you, let's get rid of this guy. Right. 
I mean, and I just see David as not a very big guy. I don't know. It's not given to us. We know Goliath was huge. He was a monster. But David didn't look at him. David, David's eyes were always on whom? God. In fact, that was one of the keys. As he Now, by the way, he went prepared. He didn't go out there and just talk him to death. He went and got some ammunition. And he had trained. Now, this wasn't his first time with a sling, by the way. I think it wouldn't have went that well. He had worked and trained. He was diligent in now all of that. But was, was David's strength by, he was like super strong? Super smart? Super strategic? I mean, just super? He was super committed to God. That's what won the victory. That literally is the setting point as we talked about the belt of truth. When you're super committed... <laughs> To, doing, uh, to, to being a life of truth, you are well on your way. Uh, as, as we, you know, these particular items or these, this list of armor, I don't know that any, I can't really, now it does say, most of all, the shield of faith. But to take any one of those as being, this is the biggest deal, it really can't do that. The focus is not on any one of them. It's on the whole. The whole armor of God. But certainly a place for us to start. Now, as we go into today, I think this one may be as important as any. Because if we don't get this one set up right, you really can't even have the commitment that's necessary to win. The breastplate of righteousness. What, what comes to your mind when we say that? The breastplate of righteousness. What's, what's popping into your mind? Protects your heart. Protects your heart. What else? There, there are really two areas, and we're jumping ahead just a little bit, uh, that would be the heart, and then the bowels, which would be a term that the Jews would have used, or your internal organs. So it covers from here to here, basically, and very vulnerable, by the way. That's a vital area. In fact, you could put on a fantastic game and literally just that fast and your life is over. So think about the importance of the breastplate, uh, particularly in a warring, uh, a Roman soldier. And this would have been the time and age in which Paul would have been sharing these. Uh, can you imagine, you know, I think I'm going to skip the breastplate today. I just feels too heavy for me. I, I'm just not going to go to war with that. I, I'm going to go without today. That would be like going undressed, literally, correct? Uh, policemen, for instance, and, and to be a policeman today is probably the hardest time frame ever in this nation. Um, I can't hardly get started on it, but one of the things, what, what's the one piece of equipment that they're certainly going to take along with them is their vest, their bulletproof vest, because it's the most subject to death of anything that they could possibly have. Very, very important. The breastplate of righteousness. What else, when, when, when we say righteousness, when, is that, how do you put that on? See, that's what we're here for today. What, where do you find that? Does everyone have their breastplate of righteousness at home? Do you, do you keep it in a closet? Is it like hung up with your jackets and you I can't find it today. Somebody, it must be in the wash. <laughs> what is it? Where is it? Have you ever not been able to find it? Well, those are questions that probably arise. And we sometimes wonder, 
Well, now, Larry, what is the breastplate of righteousness? I don't have one in my closet. No, I hope you don't. I hope you have it on. Because once you put it on, leave it on. That's one of the things about this whole armor of God is the fact, don't ever take it off. Leave it on because Satan is so adept. Now, I don't want to give him any more power than he has. I've told you before. He cannot think your thoughts. He does not know what you're thinking. He is not omnipresent. Thank goodness. Now, he's a lot of helpers. It's a busy place. The whole world, though, is set up. See, he's, he's molded the world into his system. So the whole world literally is working on Satan's principles. Hey, don't miss that. Because it's not just, we're not, it's just not Satan and the demons and they're all over. It's the sense the whole system, the world system, has literally been set up and placed in a position to thwart your good. It's to take away all of the energy that God wants you to have. The whole system. That's why he's so effective. But the breastplate of righteousness. Hmm. What in the world is that about? As we talked about, let's just break it down. Uh, what if you don't have righteousness in your life? Oh, I, I erased it. Do you remember the word that was in the middle of the board? It was... Oh, you didn't get that. Okay. Let's, let's take a step back. Last week, it was the belt of truth, which equals commitment. There we go. I'm on an animated day today. At any rate, uh, what if there's no righteousness in your life? What if you don't have on the breastplate of righteousness? How committed... Will you be? Not at all. That's why I say this particular, uh, and when you think about it, protecting your vitals, vital organs, your heart. And let's talk about that for a second. Those two areas, uh, some of the things that we want to make sure and understand is the fact that to a Jew, uh, the heart, uh, which Bill said that it was protecting the heart. But the terminology that's used in the scripture actually puts the heart at our mind. Let's look at a couple of those. Uh, let's go to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. <laughs> That's pretty clear, isn't it? The heart is given a place of thinking. Thinking is associated with heart. And then Jeremiah chapter 17 at Jeremiah chapter 17, um, says pretty clearly, 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart, and we just learned the heart is the mind, the thinking, the thinking thing, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. Is it represented the mind? Clearly in the scriptures. Now, uh, that would be the thinking thing. Your heart that's where decisions are made. That's where choices are made. Now, again, let's unfold the second one, and that would be with the bowels or your, your vital organs. You'll find that that is tied together with a sense of feelings or emotions. Tell me, you know, I took a, was it a phone call? I can't remember what it was. I think it was a phone call. And, and you, get, you can get news that's not so good. You can get something that just drops the hammer to you. And do you know where you feel that? Right there. Right? That's the feelings and emotions that literally are accentuated within, as the Jews, the bowels or your literally almost like your second brain. It's very true. So, so Satan is going to be working on your heart, if you will, equals mind, and your feelings and emotions. 
Now, literally, everything that you do is based on your mind and your emotions. That combination, everything is underneath of. Now, if you live by feelings or emotions, you will have a roller coaster ride in life, won't you? Because that's how feelings are. They just kind of come and go and roll and dive and dip. And so if you can somehow be allured to the wrong things for the wrong reasons, that will askew the right emotional response to, in this case, truth. And on the brain side, if Satan can sell you false doctrine, if he can literally steer you off out into some weeds, the tall weeds, as they used to say, he's winning. And then you're going to react how your life will be exemplary. It will be exhibited by what you're thinking and what you're feeling. All of your life, literally, every single thing you do is somewhere under the umbrella of what the breastplate of righteousness covers. Do you see the significance? It's really a big deal. So we have to make sure that we get this right. Let's come up with something else in the sense of righteousness. Uh, that's a cool word, by the way. I, I like it. You've written it. You read it. We, we sing about it. Um, it's a word that you probably got fairly early if you've attended church or went to Sunday school. Um, you need to be righteous. God is righteous. And that's a word that, you know, gets thrown out. What does that mean in regards to your life? I mean, I always like to make things personal. I want to get right down and just wrap your arms around it. And sometimes, if I say breastplate of righteousness, and and by the way, I appreciate your answers. But sometimes in your mind, what does that breastplate of righteousness look like? What is righteousness? What What is it? Hmm. Your character, okay, in, excuse me, being right with God. That's actually really, really close. It's a right relationship with God. That's what righteousness is. A right relationship with God. Do you see how clear it, all all of a sudden righteousness took on a whole new sense of clarity, didn't it? If I said you, you having a right relationship with God is righteousness. Ah, well, well, why didn't you say that? Because that's exactly what righteousness is. Because if you don't have the right relationship with God, you couldn't even possibly imagine even seeing righteousness. Before you've accepted Christ as Savior, the best you could have would be a self-righteous attitude. You couldn't even see true righteousness. That's pretty important that that we can see through it. Now, righteousness, the right relationship with God... As we've said already, that Satan is trying to attack you in the way you think. He's trying to attack in the way your emotions are and how you respond. Now, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing, too. If you've taken something that is misaligning, a lie, a falsehood, something that's been spoken against you, how do you respond? That's a good question. Now, if Satan can get you to respond in a way that literally is eating you up, giving him a foothold, a beachhead. Remember that? That's a verse you should really have somewhere in your repertoire is the fact that Ephesians 4.27, he is looking for a place to stick around and hang out and do you harm. And how does he do it? Through bitterness in that particular case. Uh, anger without letting go of the bitterness. That literally allows him to do some things that are just outrageous. And you let him do it. 
That is done emotionally. How do you respond emotionally? Because sometimes we can't seem to let God rule in our emotions. He wants to confuse your mind with false doctrines. Now, all of those things are protected by the breastplate of righteousness. Now, he's trying to... Remember even in the the, the parable of the sower. It's it's sort of related, but not really. But there's a principle I want to get in. Remember that that he was was seeding on different kinds of soil. And there was one in which it was on the hard ground, and it said that they came and snatched away, literally, the word of God, the truth, the gospel, if you will. That is what he wants to do. He wants to snatch away the truth of God's word. He doesn't want you to learn one more thing about God's truth. If he can thwart that, if he can distend you from learning any more about real truth, that is where he will focus. Again, many times what we think is how we react. But if you can even think of how giving false impressions, how many times do our emotions actually have the very wrong impression of what somebody intended? That's happened a lot, isn't it? And by the way, texting and emails have not helped that. Supposed communication devices actually made it much, much, much worse. Correct? Having, having a very intimate personal conversation on an email is suicidal to the sense of that relationship. It's for passing along numbers and notes. It is not a communicative device. And isn't it amazing how those innuendos, those, is that what they meant? I wonder, I wonder what she really meant by that. And see, you've already set yourself up. Your response is, well, you see where I'm going, right? And then it's amazing how the mind and emotion can spin off way outside of the parameters of reality. And you create this massively, well, you get the idea. Who's winning now? Do you think the breastplate of righteousness was on? No. So we better keep looking at how we get this baby on. What is it? How do we get it on? Well, first of all, let's talk about the sense of the possibilities of righteousness. There are three. There's three potential uh, positions or, now I'll just leave it that way, of righteousness. One we'll talk of first is self-righteousness. Okay. The second one, I'll name all three and then we'll come back, and that is imputed righteousness. And the third is practical righteousness. Those are literally in the sense of righteousness. Those are the only three possibilities that we have to work with. So which one is Paul addressing? Is it, do we need to put on the breastplate of self-righteousness? That doesn't even sound right. But let's go ahead and use the scripture a little bit as we unfold that for a moment. Self-righteousness. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus makes a comment that would have probably blown the crowd away. He said something crazy like this. Um, As you're turning there, um, if, if someone was to ask you who... Now, this is, you know, put on your sandals, get in Jesus' day. He's about to have a speech. He's talking to a lot of people. And... Before you sat down, you had, you know, the whole context of society and community life is something that you have grown up in. And if someone was to ask you, who is the most righteous people you know? 
And you would respond almost without any doubt. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, all of those religious people, because they're really righteous. Now, why would they say that? Because they told them they were. <laughs> so what's Jesus going to say? He's sitting on, a mount, he's sitting on the side of a, a, the mount. Of, let's see. What did he? Sermon on the Mount. There we go. And so he has this, and he's still unfolding in this, in this amphitheater, if you will. And all of these, I'm going to say, it's a really large group. Nobody says, probably tens of thousands. And he unpacks this beginning. This is, this is like the opening of Jesus' ministry. Year, this is day one almost of year three, of this three-year thing, of this is what I'm about. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that has come to save the world. This is what I want to say to you. And he says some really crazy stuff from their perspective. But listen to this one. Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verse 20, I believe. And verse 20. Now, let's see. We should probably... Let's start in verse 17. Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now watch what he says. For I say unto you, this is like, take note. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. At that point, all of the mouths dropped. They had a whole lot of dental problems. I could not believe that he would say that out loud. What? He must have... Say that again! He didn't need to. It was so emphatic. He said, listen clearly to this. If your righteousness does not exceed the religious leaders, you won't make it to heaven. Honey, did you hear that? We don't have a chance. Which is perfect. That's the perfect message. If the average American today knew they did not have a single shot at getting to heaven because they don't have a savior because they're a sinner, the largest problem in this planet, in this universe, is sin. And you can't whip it. You can't whoop it. There's nothing. You can't buy it. You can't get out of it. It owns you. That's literally what he's saying. And on that day, I think the eyes was the way like, poof. Righteousness. Righteousness. What was he getting at? Well, Paul wrote in uh, Ephesians, the the book that we're studying, the last part. Let's go back there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Very well-known scripture passage to most of you. Ephesians chapter 2. This literally is grace unpacked and given to us in its fullest. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that not true? What did the Pharisees do about 98% of the time? They boasted about what they were doing, what they were, all of the things that kept them going. Very clearly, then, grace and, safe, and salvation comes through faith. And then in Christ alone. Let's go back to Luke chapter 18. This is, uh, this is pretty cool here. Luke chapter 18. We'll see, we'll see a Pharisee in action. Don't you like to see this? This is, this is, this is a life lesson. Uh, Luke chapter 18, and we'll start now in verse 9. 
Luke 18, 9. He spake this parable, Jesus again, he spake this parable, Luke 18, 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that trusts in themselves? Hmm, that might even be a me on certain days, right? It's an amazing, isn't it amazing that trap that you can get yourself into? How easy it is to trust in ourselves. My goodness. Here he goes. That they were righteous and despised others. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Hmm, that's interesting. Two going to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee. Oh, it's, descri- it's describing for us. The one a Pharisee and the other one a publican. What is a publican? Excuse me? Yeah, or a normal Joe. He, he's a loser. He's just, he's just a normal, he's a sinner. That's how it would be described. And if you could say like a religious leader and a sinner. So it's as far apart as you could put him on a scale. Oh, this is going to be interesting. He's going to be talking about righteousness. Oh, well, this will be a showcase. Watch what he says. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> did, you, did you catch that? Who was he praying with? Himself. himself. He's going to impress himself today. He's really going to get after it. Exactly, showing himself how good he is. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. But he's out in the middle of, I guess, public square, right? Oh, God, anyone else here? Oh, just, I'll give you another five minutes to come and join here. Oh, God, thank you that you've made me who I am. (laughs) Oh, gag, right? It'll only take a little bit of this guy. And then he names those other guys that he doesn't want. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even uh, as this publican. What? Ever been around someone like that? Oh, he's going to talk about himself. I fast twice in the week. Now, for you, it, it was only necessary to... Potentially fast a couple times a year. So look at this. Look at this overzealous achiever. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Oh, he's really lined it up. Verse 13. Now look at the other side of it. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, stop. You know the story, but just a second. Now, if you were hearing that for the first time, and the question was, who's the righteous one here? The crowd would have no doubt said, well, the first one, obviously, because he's, like, cool. He's, like, got it. And, you know, Jesus spent an awful lot of time calling those people, what? What's the right word? Hypocrites. They didn't live as they said. It was a total sham. But now what he says now is this. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house, that's the publican, went down to his house justified, that's the word he uses, rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hmm. That was the day that a good man went to hell and a bad man went to heaven. That's essentially, that's the the picture. Why? Because of who he's depending upon. Exactly. If you think you can do it on your own, you're in deep trouble. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah 64, verse 6. 
Isaiah 64, 6. It says this, but we are all as an unclean thing in all our righteousnesses. I can't hardly say it. Righteousnesses. There we go. Are as filthy rags. If you're here today or you know someone that's depending upon their own righteousness, it's not going to work out. It is not going to work out. Let's watch now as, well, actually, let's go to Romans chapter 3. All of this is probably a bit of review for all of you, but nothing wrong with that. God's word is, continues to etch itself into the finest cracks, holding itself there as we continue to glean and to import it into our minds. So if, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. Very clearly, as it is written, there is none righteous. And then he goes on. And, what if he just stopped there? There is none righteous. And we would say, well, except me. And no, he doesn't do that. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Huh. Well, that kind of narrows it down. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Wow. Is that what he really meant? That's what he meant. That's what he meant. Let's keep reading. There is none that understand that there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's pretty descriptive language. That word unprofitable, it actually would be very much similar on the line of if you leave milk in the refrigerator long enough or take it out of the refrigerator, it happens quicker. It becomes sour. It is unprofitable. That's what sin does to mankind. It sours us. It ruins Oh, there we go. How's that? Nice. Philippians chapter 3, and let's turn to verse 4. Now, what Paul's going to do here, and I want you, I almost read this passage for you today from verses 4 through 14, because what's happening here is Paul is going to lead us on this journey from literally from the potential of self righteousness to imputed righteousness to practical righteousness. And he's the one that can really talk about self-righteousness. If there was anybody that really could stand on the foundation of self-righteousness, it would be Paul. He's the dude. Let's watch how he says this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. In other words, if you think you're, you're good, I'm going to tell you something. My background is impressive. In fact, I'm going to unfold it for you. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. I mean, this is, this, if you want to put this on the wall, I mean, he's a winner, 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 winner. And by the way, he was even taught by a, the world's finest, Gamaliel. I mean, he had every imaginable, illustrious detail of his life to prove he is something. Let's keep going. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, did you see this? This guy, is a, he's an overachiever. You talk about commitment. He was committed to taking everything that he trusted in, everything he believed in, to an ultimate level. What's he going to say next? That, why would, how would we describe this so far? 
If that's what he would, if that was what he's trusting in, that would truly be depending upon his own righteousness. And that's a, excuse me, a true Pharisee. And it's amazing. I mean, he's got a list that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, it's cool. It looks good on a resume. Would you hire this this guy? You guys don't know. Well, for what, Larry? Well, not for a cowboy. I probably wouldn't. Now, we know from his further resume, a tent maker, he's top notch. But it's amazing that actually tent making is what really led people to the Lord because he was involved in work that was surrounding regular people. And he stepped right down at their level. Isn't that amazing? People that can get right down at the level. He's, how did Jesus teach? He taught right at the level people were. He got right where they were living. That's what makes the gospel so cool. There's no one that doesn't need it. And it fits everybody all the time. The hardest ones are the ones that have nothing that they see, that they think they need. That's why America has really gone off track. We've had so much for so long, we don't even know we need something that's so dire and drastic as literally a savior to save us from sins, of which we won't even use. When's the last time you heard that word on television or on the radio or in any kind of communication? Right? That's what's wrong. See, Jesus got right. He got right in the dirt with you. Paul is saying, you know what? I've got all of these things that I could brag about. Watch what he says next. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them all but dung, that I may win Christ. Now watch, verse 9. In other words, he, he set self-righteousness away, even though he could cling to it as much as any man that's ever walked this earth. But be found, verse 9, and be found in him, watch, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, right? That's, that's how it comes, right? That's what made the religious leaders so cool in the people's eyes is because they had, they had just kind of followed all of the things across. Oh, I'm good at this, and I'm good at this. And if you could make more laws and follow those laws, and then you'd even become more noteworthy. And that's why they kept making laws as things they could keep, and they just kept this list. That's called legalism, isn't it? Oh, it's so debilitating. It's so lifeless. It's so yuck, Right? So ritualistic. Keep going. Which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Did you see it? He traded his self-righteousness for the righteousness of God. And how did he get that? Through faith in Christ. Now that word, that's how we come to the second one. That is imputed faith. When you trust Christ as Savior, on that very moment when you've literally given yourself, you're leaning, you're trusting in God, just as all of you right now are trusting in something that I'm not. You're all trusting in the chair you're sitting in. You made a choice to sit in that chair, thinking that it would support you. So far, good news, it has. But faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed. Is that chair going to save you and take you to heaven? Don't try it. That's where it becomes important. Whatever we're trusting in has to somehow get past the test of death. For all men have sinned and all will die. That's the test. Who can get that done? Only one. There's only one that has ever broken the power and the chain of death. Jesus Christ. And how do we get that righteousness? It's imputed through faith 
in Christ. But is that the end of it? See, position, and and we're going to talk about position versus, in fact, I'm going to write it down here because I want to get this in your mind. Uh, Position, I shouldn't even put verses, we'll just do it this way. And practical. It's like this one's not going to work very much longer. Practical. Now, when you trust Christ as Savior, you have gained the righteousness of Jesus Christ who took all of our sin, did no sin, conquered sin, died, was buried, and rose the third day to prove there was victory over that sin. Positionally, that is yours. But is that the breastplate of righteousness? No. See, now what happens here is if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, you know you have no chance of practical or day-to-day righteousness. You don't have a chance. It's not possible. But the fact that you have, have the power of Christ living within you allows practical righteousness to actually be a possibility. Or another word that you heard is sanctification, which means to just set apart. You will look different if you trust Christ with your life and you trust him with the righteous principles that allow you to blossom and to flourish and be all that God wants you to be. You will look different. That's why the world hates you. Why do we bother so hard to fit in? Isn't a good question? You're not going to answer it either. That's okay. It's okay. Practical or positional? That's a true statement. And that's called peer pressure, isn't it? Yeah. They, in fact, I, I can't, I mean, it just seems so absurd to me, but I'm going to say it one more time. Uh, there was a study done. It was actually under D- James Dobson. I haven't told it for a while. Maybe some of you haven't heard it. And there was a, there, what was, it was going to be a study on peer pressure. There was 30 people invited into each session. Of these 30 people, there was one that was not afforded the, what was going to take place. 29 of them were filled in, and they had on, the, on this board, they would have had two options. There was that line, and there was this line. It was probably a lot more professional than that. But the first line, what would you say? Is that like uh, a foot long, potentially? Because the people that are listening to me can't see this. It's harder for them to imagine this line that's on the board that they can't see. Okay, So we're going to try to help them. And, and number two would be a line that's probably six inches long. You guys okay with that? Okay. So now the question that was, that was given, the 30 people come in the room and they're saying, now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz here. It's simple. So you guys just, you know, you just raise your hand when I, when I ask the question, which line is the longest? Is it number one? And the one guy that hadn't been given the tuned in part, well, nobody else raised their hand. He just... Or is number two the longest? And everybody else's hand just shoots up because they've been told, no matter what the question is, when they ask for number two, you raise your hand. 29 of the 30 raised their hand, and you know what happened to number 30? He eventually raised his hand too because he thought he must have misunderstood the question. And you know, time after time after time after time after time after time after time, that is exactly what happened. Peer pressure really forced that one person out of a group of 30 to choose what he knew was wrong. That's the strength of peer pressure. But it's also what will send you to hell without a savior if you don't let the gospel lead you where it really tells you you need to go. Breastplate of righteousness. 
Okay, I asked this question. We'll get rid of our lines because it's very distracting, isn't it? Are we good enough then? Is this, the, is this the breastplate of righteousness? Is this that thing that's in the corner that I can't find that's at the wash? We sent it to the dry cleaners and it hasn't come back yet? And I can't get it on today because I can't find it? Is it because... Uh, is it be- I'm here to tell you that that's not the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness... I'm sorry, the, the imputed righteousness of Christ allows us the opportunity to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is practical righteousness. Ernie, you had raised your hand. Uh, no, thy word have I hid in my heart. Yeah, exactly. Is that the that, that, that's part of it, yeah, because that brings it all together. Thy word have I hid in my heart. How are you going to get the righteousness? How are you going to understand the righteous principles? You have got to take God's word and literally hide it within your... And what's your heart? We define... Yeah, this is actually fits in beautifully. What is your heart? Your mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's Jewish language for your mind. Hiding God's word in your heart or your mind is absolutely the way to instill, again, the righteousness. Who lives with, who's take up to, let's try it again. Who took up residence in your heart when you trusted Christ? Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Directing as you make individual choices. And you have to build on that. Oh, yeah. No, no it's, in fact, it's kind of... Now, this is, this is the part... Don't, don't go away from here depressed today. Oh, well, I can't do this 100% of the time. Of course you can't. That's why it's a process. Now, justification was an act, a one-time act. This imputed righteousness, the positional, the positional righteousness you receive, that's a one-time deal, and it was done, and it was over, and it's fixed for eternity. Thank God, right? Because he says it in his word. But the other part is a process, and it's, built, it's building on it. And where do, you, where do you spend time? I mean, do you, do you spend time reading the word of God? How could you possibly be thinking you're gaining in the sense of, practical righteousness if you're not spending time in the word where you're not listening to those things in in philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 thinking on these things brethren things that are holy those things that are pure those things that are lovely all of those things they direct us towards righteousness but let's watch paul this this is such an interesting passage because he starts from where he could have camped self-right by the way he lived a lot of his life in self-righteousness didn't he he literally camped on that. He sat in that seat because I'm an Israelite and I'm a Benjaminite and I'm a Pharisee and Mamaliel taught me and I got everything needed to be a super, super self-righteous person. And he threw it all away as dung is the word he used. Now let's watch. He now has described for us how he got the righteousness of God, which was by faith. Now let's look at verse 10. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. What does what he say? Wait, how much is he, is he getting? Is he trying to get more righteousness of Christ? No, he has all there is. But do you see? Watch this now. This is coming back to that sense of commitment of the belt of truth. What are you committed to? Watch. Not as though I'd already attained, neither either were already perfect or complete, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which 
also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I can't count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is sanctification on steroids. Because he is committed to practically living what he has in him. And that, when you do that choice by choice, day by day, moment by oh, moments before days, moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year, you know what's happening? You're literally putting on to a higher level and apprehending just a little bit at a time the breastplate of righteousness. You're committed to practically living righteously. Now, there are those that live life and say, well, it doesn't matter how I live because I have, I've trusted Christ. I mean, he's, I'm his. So I can live like a loser. doesn't matter because I'm his. Grace is cheap. Grace is easy. It doesn't work that way, does it? Because there's things, we're going to talk about these things. When we don't do this, when we don't practically apply the righteous principles that literally are ours to an act of which the power is ours to be fulfilled because of Jesus Christ and what he imputed to us through faith, by grace... There are things that really are very important to you living a life of victory that won't be yours if you choose not to be aggressive in the sense of practically living out the principles of righteousness and literally putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I don't want to diminish for a second the fact of where you are positionally. Not for a second. But again, he says to put on the armor, the whole armor of God. This here is not something you put on. This is something you receive. And I'm talking about the position, the positional grace, the positional righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's received when you place faith in him. You put it on one righteous act at a time because he died for you. And otherwise, you know what? It's like putting on a paper napkin. If you ever go to the restaurant and you didn't like your kids especially, you know that little deal, that thing that lasts about three seconds? That's how we go out to war sometimes, right? We have this paper now. Okay, I'm ready. Satan says, boy, are we going to get you? And see, that's sometimes if we're living a life that's based upon positional in Christ, but we don't live it, we are setting ducks for Satan to take a shot at us. That's how he would want us to show up at a battle. With no breastplate of righteousness. In other words, actively, practically applying the things that Jesus Christ gave us positionally. It doesn't. Did you see Paul? I and mean, this is this is. Do you see the sense of commitment and the aggressiveness? I mean, he is going for it. I love Paul's gusto. Right? You talk about zealous. This guy's zealous. He says, "No, I'm." Let's read it again. See, just adding a little bit more merit to it. Let's go back now to Philippians chapter 3. Let's go one more time to verse 12. Let's read it with what we just found out. Not as though I had already attained. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not there. Either we're already perfect. Of course I'm not complete. But I follow after if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Oh, no. But this one thing I do. This is almost like Gail just said. We build upon it. You know the best. This is, this is another tool of Satan. I'm a little bit off track, but a little branch down this way. One of the things that he will love to do, because you're not going to live perfectly. If you live, leave here today and Larry says, oh, we've got to live perfectly. You missed what I said. You missed what the scripture says. But while he 
will push in your faces, you failed. You're a miserable loser. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people's lives and testimonies continue to be tarnished and diminished because all they can do is focus on their failure. That is not a message of Jesus Christ. You know what? If there's anybody that could feel tarnished from a prior experience in his life, it's Paul. How easy would it for him to show? In fact, when he first got saved, he showed up at a Christian meeting. What did they do? You know who that guy is? That's, he's a persecutor, right? He killed people. And what did he say? I forget the stuff that's behind me. And I press on. Mo- and that, you can see it. It's moment by moment. Friends, I'm going to tell you what, 24 hours a day, do you know how small some of those moments can be? Because it's just tough. It's tough sledding. He just broke him down and he never, ever quit. That is what I'm talking about. When we stand in the sense of positionally, we have all of the power we need. All of the righteousness is ours. But it gives us the opportunity to practically reveal the gift of righteousness and its principles that are laid in foundation in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And when we put those on, one at a time, and how do we do it? Ernie had said, hide thy word in your heart. You keep taking the word in. You keep making those decisions. And you're going to make a wrong decision. Trust me, it'll probably even happen today. But what's the best thing we can do? Don't ignore it. Don't make up your own truth. Admit it. Get on your knees, repent before God, and guess what? According to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he is faithful to forgive you. Let's go again. He picks you up. He's there waiting to hear that from you. As David, remember what he said? Oh, I'm, this, I'm stepping into the next place, but there are four things that literally, when we don't do this, that literally will, will be vacant from your life. If we are not practically putting righteousness on, if you're not making it part of the, the breastplate of righteousness, the first thing that will happen is you will lose joy. A Christian without joy is a Christian that is not living actively and practically putting on righteousness. Think of David for a moment. Remember what he said? Uh, he, oh, shoot. No, I, lo- and I went, went away. Um, oh, the joy of my salvation. Somebody, what verse is that? Um, restore. restore. There, that's the word I'm looking for. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Where did it go? When did he write that? That's when he had the adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He had Uriah killed. He was lying. There's deception. There's murder. There's all of these things going on. And guess what he didn't do? He didn't repent before God. He didn't do business. Guess what his practical righteousness level was? All-time low. He couldn't even write songs. In fact, there's this 18-month dry spot of David, the songwriter, the psalm writer. I mean, imagine him around the campfire. I mean, he could just make it up. You got the shepherds and they're doing it. Hey, David, what do you got tonight? And he could just whip one out. If you doubt it, look at the psalms. They're just full. I, I know there's around evening campfires as they work their butts off working with sheep. I mean, he's got something that just came out, right? And for 18 months, he, as a king, couldn't even write a single psalm because he has no joy. Your life will be the same. If you fail to, to, to take into effect the very thing that Christ died for, you will have a joy, joyless life. Think of that. That's scary, isn't it? To go through life. And do you know how effective Satan is with a joyless Christian? He owns you. 
<laughs> Careful how I do that. He does not own you. Jesus Christ bought, paid for you. You are no one's but God's. But I'm going to tell you something. He will direct your paths like none other if you truly are his. You're in his territory. He has a beachhead that is singing a song. You will have no joy. No joy. I actually got ahead of myself, I see from my notes. That's crazy, isn't it? Imagine that. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, I've got to repeat that. I've got to repeat that. Ernie said we'll get done faster. <laughs> I like that spirit. Yes, sir. What would happen if I just handed all my notes to Paul? We could be done. We could be done. I like it. I hadn't thought of that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> But literally, this daily living out practically what we have positionally is the key to victorious Christian living. If that is not, if that is not present in your life, your life is missing some things. And we've already talked about the one, the one of sense of joy. You will lose your joy. Now, um, it's this simple. I'm going to just write this on the board because it really is. Uh, no obedience equals... No joy. That is absolutely true. If you're going to choose not to obey God, you will have no joy. That's, that's a fact. I'm not even sorry because it's good, isn't it? What, what if you would have joy and you didn't obey God? That seems counterintuitive. Exactly. Exactly. Now, why do we keep going down that road? Because Satan is sucking us in. He's saying stuff like, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Uh, like to Eve, you know, God knows that the day that you really eat of that fruit, you're going to be like God. What a sell, huh? That sounds so good. Isn't that good? Such a lie. Such a lie. Now, if we have problems, and there, problems can be of different things, uh, problems in our life, our marriage, our job, oftentimes, you know, we can go back and we can actually look within and say, you know what, I've got a problem. My righteousness hasn't been matched up with what God has given me the ability to do. My response to that wasn't really all the best. And it's amazing when our response isn't on a righteous level. There's that, where did, remember, remember we talked about where that, it's about right here, isn't it? And the joy goes right with it. It's just, whoop, it's gone. It's gone. God's protection, his blessing, his provision all fall within the circle of obedience. Even when I said protection, I'm talking about this. If we're not going to obey and put on the whole armor of God, of which putting on the breastplate of righteousness is practically living out what he has Guaranteed for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not guaranteed to be protected. Because we have failed to be. Remember last week? What what about the truth is what? Commitment. Commitment to being engaged in the battle and committed to put on the whole armor of God. Just as the breastplate of righteousness literally is the sense of living, practical, righteous living. Now, I know where you're going. Think, but we're going to keep going because I'm going to let you soak with that. We could also say this, couldn't we? Let's say another no joyer 
no joy. What would be another way of having no joy? Uh, let's, for instance, how do you think the day after, let's go slip all the way back, the Garden of Eden. I know you guys weren't there then, but just, just imagine for a moment. It was good. It was really good. I, I don't know where you've been, the prettiest place, the most awesome gardens, the most beautiful places of trees and, 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 uh, and vegetation. I don't know where that's at, but take it times a million, okay? And now you've just begun to see just the very edge of what the Garden of Eden was like. And Adam and Eve, before they sinned, what would you say the relationship with God was? Oh, it's beautiful, right? What would we say, what would we say about that? Well, there's a word in the sense of the, between God and Adam and Eve. It would be <coughs> intimate. Yeah. Okay, let's, let, and let's add one more word. I like that. Intimate. Okay, I didn't get it quite. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try to lead you down this pathway. When... When we are on a level, let's come back, let's slip outside the garden, let's come back to this. When we're at a joyful level where things are really cranking, our relationship between us and God is good, which means we are in fellowship with God. I kind of led you in there. Fellowship, right? Okay, with no giveaway. But now let's go, now slip back in the Garden of Eden. What do you think the fellowship level was between Adam and Eve and God prior to sin? It was outrageous. If there was ever time for a word awesome, it would be then. It would, I can't even describe it. Because they walked with God in the afternoon. How was that the next day? Where do you think the joy factor was? I don't think they even knew what joy was, but I'm telling you what they knew when it was gone. And see, that's what happens to a Christian that has fallen out of fellowship. With no fellowship with God, no fellowship, no joy. Now, Satan right away wants to say, oh, well, you've sinned. You're, you're, you're hopeless. You, you're done. You, you're done. Because when he's doing that, he sold a game that he doesn't want you to know what the Scripture says, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins if we confess of them. And all of a sudden, when we have fellowship, we have joy. Isn't that cool? And that's because God is God. Who wants to be a joyless Christian? Is someone that will have Satan own them. Get into God's presence. Let me say that again. All of this stuff and adding the whole armor of God and getting yourself closer relationally, fellowship, get into God's presence. Sometimes that's very quiet. Sometimes you need to shut your radio off. Sometimes you need to just get in a quiet place. Sometimes you need to just go to, go to a closet and shut the light off. If you're scared of the dark, turn the light on. I don't care. But the point of the matter is, get quiet with him. Let him talk to you. It's amazing how we get pretty yappy when we've got a big problem, right? God, you need to get me out of this. God, I can't believe I'm here. What, 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 you know, and sometimes we just need to say, remember what David said? We closed this session last week this way with Psalm 139. Search my heart, O oh God. Remember that one? And when we do that, when we open that up and show me, God will do that. He will do that. And when he does that, that's when we have the opportunity to take the right steps to obey him. Because when we're obeying, it's the same deal. This is too hard to put on and off. When we're obeying, we have joy. Your life will be awesome. It will change 
moment by moment by moment as we continue to yield ourselves to Him. Now, there's a couple other things that you're also going to lose. By the time I'm done today, I'm going to be painted black. I don't, I can't, and if I put it on, I can't get it off. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to leave it right here, just like Presley would do, and it'll dry out and it'll be done. But that's okay. Okay, so, so first of all, you can lose your joy. So let's be, I'm going to have you guys help me. Now, what else do we lose when we're really not practically living and putting on the breastplate of righteousness? We lose our, remember in John chapter 15, I am the, okay, yeah, I, I, like, I like where you're thinking, but that in John chapter 15, it talks about, I am the vine. And if you're connected to the vine, guess what happens to you? You grow fruit. I'll tell you something right now. If you're out of fellowship with God, if you're not obeying Him, if you're not practically living righteously what He has allowed you to be having the power to do, you will be fruitless. You show me a joyless, fruitless Christian, and I will show you a person that Satan is literally destroying one step at a time. Now, he doesn't, can't take salvation from them. But as far as a testimony, as far as a life that is impactful for our Savior, it will just continue to spiral. Now, there's answers for all of this. Literally, where are the two areas that Satan attacks us? Our minds, our hearts, as Bill told us. And number two, our emotions. Guess what covers those two areas? We're, we're reviewing the breastplate of righteousness. How is the breastplate of righteousness put on? By practically applying what we have in Christ with the Holy Spirit living within us. And I know you're still going, Larry, you make it sound so easy. How do we do that? Okay, we're going to get to that. You're going to make it easy? No, I didn't say that. But we're going to talk about how to do it. Because that is a problem, isn't it? Because how do we do that? Do we try harder? I'm not going to answer the question. You can think about it. Let's keep going. There's another thing you're going to lose if you remain in this not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. This would be called our foundation, if you will. Imputed righteousness, that's literally the foundation of the Christian. Okay? Now, I'm setting you up because we're going to go to another book. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, and it's going to talk about something else that you will lose if you fail to to apply the practical righteousness that God has guaranteed to us because of his positional righteousness. And what is that? Let's fact, let's read it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and let's plug in and take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and we will start in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. According, 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Watch verse 11. For, no, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. This is your foundation. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, and I could go on, popularity, power, real estate, cars. You see what I'm saying? Every man's work, verse 13, shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a 
reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. That's how you get to the judgment seat of Christ, which I failed to tell you. This is that description. This will be a time when we will stand before Jesus Christ if you've trusted Christ. Now, the only way to get there is to have trusted Christ. If you did not trust Christ, you've got another appointment. It's called the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. Because you know how you're going to be there and what you're going to defend yourself with? You've got your, pull your little book out. Let's see. On, uh, that was on, uh, well, let me look at this in a second. Uh, um, that, was, well, that was back in the year of 1986. I gave $522 to Salvation Army. I gave, uh, and on and on, on you go. And I did this and I did that and I have self-righteousness and I do all of that. You know what at the end of that is? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't find you in the book of life. That's called self-righteousness. But if you're at this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, you're there because you trusted Christ. But you are there to see if you really did anything with your life for Christ. What did you build on the foundation? And if you failed to practically, again, put on, I'm tying it in today, the breastplate of righteousness, guess what? You will lose rewards. Now, the rewards aren't for you. They're literally to lay at the feet of Jesus to show how amazingly powerful he and everything he did was. So what have we lost? Let's check. We lose joy. joy. Fellowship. Fellowship. That's true. No fruit. No fruit. No fruit. So we lose joy because there's no fellowship. We are unfruitful and we lose rewards. And there's one more thing. Show me now a joyless, fruitless, rewardless. Actually, the rewards would be later, but that's the path you're taking. What kind of a picture does that paint of the world in you? Or how should I say it? I'll say it differently. What kind of a picture are you painting to the world saying that you're a Christian? When you... <laughs> Ernie is very descriptive today. Absolutely. That is in my notes too. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually... They don't know you're a Christian. They can't tell. And so what? who takes the hit? God does. God does. God's glory is diminished in the sense of other people's eyes. God's glory is never diminished. Be careful how, I, how you hear that. God's glory is always utmost manifested at a level that is incomprehensible. But in other people's eyes that are watching you as being a so-called Christian, his glory is completely shrunk and there is no testimony. Those four things literally can literally... I'm sorry, those four things literally can destroy everything that you have been placed here to do. And it's because you didn't put on, listen carefully, you did not put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, what's another, what did we say? Righteousness is a right relationship with God. How do we get a right relationship with God? We spend more time. Now, what you're getting away from this, and you say, man, Larry, you're really laying it on. You're laying the wood on this thing. No, the word of God is. We're using the word of God to do this. If it was up to me, I'm right there with you. I'm raising my hand right with you. Am I getting it done? I'm like, Paul, I haven't apprehended yet, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. And all of those things that I did wrong, I don't even want to look at them. They're behind me. They're in the rearview mirror. And I tear the mirror off. Just keep rolling. Get up and go. So how do we do it? Is it because we try harder? Oh, I didn't try hard enough. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, I'm going to just try harder. No, you will fail more. Because it's not about trying. Because if you're going to try harder, then it's back to self, isn't it? Self is not the answer. If self was the answer, you wouldn't need Jesus. 
We're here, most of us today have trusted Christ as Savior. I feel confident about that. If you're here and haven't, the opportunity is yours today to trust Christ as Savior because you need the imputed righteousness to go any further. In fact, without the imputed righteousness, then Satan has you right where he wants you and he will take you as a company to hell. That's what the Word says. It's not what I say. The Word says. So how do we get this together? How can we make tomorrow morning different? How can we make next week? How do we get on this pattern? How do we get on this direction? Excuse me? You live it. And how do we do that more effectively? Submit to God. And how do we submit to God? Read His Word. And how do we read His Word more? See, I'm going to drive this to the very end because this is what it's about. Pick up the Bible. (laughs) Girl, that is basic. Yes, that is absolutely true. If you can read the word without picking it up, you have got some skill sets going on, right? Okay? I love it. I I love the practicality. But there's something else. But what is making you do that? See, and this is what I want to get to because this is the basis of this whole message today. It's not about you trying harder. And what is behind the desire? And what's behind the commitment? Somebody's, I think I heard it. Yes, love. Love more. And how do you love God more? You focus on what he did for you. How could you possibly love him less and have a life less in the sense of practical righteousness when you look at what he did for you without you bringing anything to the ballgame? When we focus on that, then our love accentuates and is exhibited in our own hearts. And when we do that, then literally we can't stop practically living out. Right? That was way over the top, wasn't it? I was excited. But somebody got it, right? Love more. And as you love more, you lean more. Because the more you trust him, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you trust him. And when you're loving and trusting, you know what happens? Yeah, it, and you start to obey more. You want to get into the Word more. You want to pick up that Bible more. You want more joy. And joy becomes yours. Yeah, in fact, that's the thing. That's, you know, there's so many people that are seeking and searching for happiness and joy. That's what their goal, that's what they're striving for. And guess what? Never find it. You'll never find it if that's your goal. But when your goal is to love God and to practically build the righteousness that is yours because of the imputed righteousness you have in Jesus Christ, then joy becomes yours. Fruit begins to be bore from you. There are rewards that will be built because you know where you're ha- what happens in Colossians chapter 3 was another verse that was in my mind. Set your affections on things above. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And when you do that, <laughs> you can't even, the joy is going to start to just flow out from you. And you know what happens then? Again, God is honored. He is glorified and magnified in the rest of the world as they look at your testimony, not because it's you, because they see Christ in you. Amen. Because Amen. practically you are laying on the wood day by day, choice by choice, what he has empowered you with positional righteousness. And it is, you know what? And it's protecting you against Satan's onslaughts. It's a win-win. Remember that, now this is interesting, in Ephesians chapter 1, they are actually, the Ephesians are commended for their love. Paul commended them for their love. 
in Revelation chapter 2, the message is to the churches, which was the first one. It was actually the church of Ephesus. Jesus Christ, his words. You can read. That's your homework. Uh, just read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. You will find messages to seven different churches. Seven different churches. And he unfolds and unpacks what he liked about them and what he disliked. And there was one thing about the church of, of Ephesus, which would have been sometime later, uh, probably, I'm going to say in a hundred years, potentially later. I don't know, whatever. But it's, it's not a super long time. This is, and this is my point in all of this. It's so easy to leave your love when you're not focused on the Savior. And do you know the one thing that the church of Ephesus was reprimanded for in, a, in Revelation chapter 2? They left their love. They left their love for Jesus. Do you know what? Once you've left your love for Jesus Christ, it's all about programs. It's all about doing. It's all about self. It's all about exhibitions. It's all about the very things that Jesus Christ came and just drove it to the highest hills, the hypocrisy of religious leaders. Without love for Christ, without love for God, all of this, quite honestly, practical resurrection is not possible. You can try as hard as you want. But if your focus as well, literally, if you're trying harder, who are, you, who are you depending on? Yourself. God never asked you to depend more on yourself. In fact, Paul said in another in another letter to to the Corinthians, "When I am weak, then I am strong, because it's the strength of God within me." That's where we need to be. If you're depending on Jesus Christ and you love, and it's based on a love relationship, you show me how to be more committed. I, I think of a, of a, of a candidates of, of um, a man and a woman that are going to be married. You know what makes their commitment stronger is their love. That's what love is. Love is not a feeling because that would go in. Well, that's what's happened to America and it's marriage. It's just, I don't love you anymore, baby. I, I just don't. Sorry. See you later. See, that's not love. Love is a commitment. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's another. That's another homework session for you. You want to know what love is? You want to know how to get, get with God? You love him the way that first chapter, of, chapter 13 of, of 1 Corinthians reads. Okay. It's almost like take a break. This stuff is so basic, but it's so important. You cannot just go to the corner and pick up. Do you see how much work there is involved to this, putting on the whole armor of God? It's all there. Everything, this, you say, you couldn't put on the best plan of righteousness if Jesus Christ had not died and you had not accepted by faith the grace that God gave. You could not have that opportunity. You could not put on the belt of truth if, the God, if God's word was not truth. You could not be committed to truth if there was no truth. Do you, see, do you see how this all fits together? But you could be, there's nothing, 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 nothing that can defeat you. We've only looked at the first two items of the whole armor of God, and I'm telling you what, it should change your life because God's word said it does. Isn't that good? Being committed to truth, being ready to be committed to truth, and then to literally, to practically put on the breastplate of righteousness because of what Christ did for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love, which you've shown us in so many, many ways. Father, how can we love you more? And as we even contemplate that question, as we think about all that you've done for us, then you will even open that gate wider and fuller for us to experience loving you in ways that we couldn't even have imagined even a few days ago. When we're committed to being truthful in a lifestyle, in our actions, in all that we are, 
Father, that's a step. Father, as we've learned even today that putting on the breastplate of righteousness, you've empowered us to be able to do it. But Father, it is still within the circle of obedience for us to follow willfully based on our love for what you've accomplished in us for Jesus Christ who knew no sin became sin for us that we could receive his righteousness. In that statement is an amazing amount of doctrinal material that Satan would never want us to know. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have the righteousness of Christ. But he wants you to have the practical righteousness in a day-by-day, choice-by-choice that will impact the world in which we find ourselves living. And besides that, it gives us protection in the most two vital areas that Satan will come to attack us, in our mind and in our emotions. Father, thank you for what a superb, masterful plan of salvation and then the protection of those that have trusted Christ. As we continue on in this study, Father, we would ask for your continued immeasurable grace of which we are so amazingly receiving of. How could we ever thank you enough for what's been accomplished? May we exercise the things that you've given to us. We bow at your feet in humbleness. We cry out, O Lord God, how awesome you are. We give you our lives, the journey that we're on, that you have specifically designed for us. May each step that we take be done for your honor, your glory, and for your service. Father, take us and use us. We're not worthy, but we're yours. Jesus Christ, with his blood, bought us. He bought us. To think of that. God, you're amazing. You're amazing. These things we praise you. We lift up your name. We honor you. We thank you in the name of the only Savior of the world. The only Lamb of God. The one and only Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.